Right. Okay, so I've been going slowly, fairly slowly, for the last couple of weeks through a passage in Luke chapter 10. And, and what we're talking about is spirit-led evangelism. And I'm not going to go over what we, we've covered over the last couple of weeks, but the point of this is that we do lots of things under the banner of evangelism. And we've all heard of lots of different ways of doing it. Some of it, uh, some of the things we do, a few people love and are effective, but most of us are scared off by. Um, others of us find ourselves in this position that we are way overtrained ever to do anything because we've learned that many different methods of potentially reaching people that we're now so confused that we're incapable of reaching people. And then there's also... The, the idea that we can argue people into the kingdom or intellectualize people into the kingdom. And, and we've tried all sorts of ways. But bottom line is, this city isn't changed. This nation isn't changed. We are not in revival. We are not seeing thousands coming into the kingdom. So we need to step back and say, God, what's your wisdom on this? How, how, do, we, how do we all mobilize in order to reach people? And so... God led me back to this point of saying, Jesus, how did you teach the disciples how to do this? Because these 12 guys, plus maybe another uh, 70 or 80 others, they managed to create a movement that evangelized the entire civilized world in the space of 200 years. So, you, you know, to put that into context, as I said, you, you're looking at something on the scale that would now... If, you, if we did again what they did you're looking at five to six billion people coming into the kingdom. It's, you know, comparatively. And they did that in the midst of a hostile Roman Empire. And, and we go, well, Cambridge is hard ground, or where I live, hard ground. You don't know how tough Haverhill is, and that place, that Ely, oh no. And Papworth, well, <laughs> <laughs> But the truth is, Jesus says the fields are white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful. And he's asking us to see things from a kingdom perspective and bring the kingdom to bear. Now, I've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Uh, you can download it from the website. You can download it as a podcast and all the rest of it. So I'm not going to go over it again. But we looked at the first step that Jesus told his disciples about for changing, as he called it, wolves into sheep. How do you get wolves? He's supposed to be sending us out amongst wolves, people who, who don't believe how do you get them to become sheep? And he starts training his disciples. And he starts from this point of that, that it is not a natural thing for somebody to become a member of the kingdom. It's a supernatural thing. And therefore, it's done by supernatural means. And the first thing he tells them to do, which we looked at last week, is pray peace. Pray blessing on people. That's your first strategy. And, and so often we lead with other things. We lead from, from, from a different heart sometimes, a heart of judgment, a, a heart of looking down on people, a heart of wanting to get to them so that their scorecard on Facebook so we can say five people came into the kingdom last night and signed cards. And, and we do it for all sorts of reasons. And Jesus said, no, the reason is because we love them. We love them and we want blessing and goodness in their life because we want to reflect the heart of the Father. 
And, and he's saying that the way that we represent that to them, the way that first begins to touch them, is by something tangible called the peace of God. And that we pray from this place of grace and we play blessing and favour and prosperity and supernatural wisdom and life on our city, on our neighbourhood, on the people we work with. Now, what I found interesting about this is, you know, Jesus is trying to raise his disciples up to save people, to lead people into the kingdom. And it's interesting that Jesus' strategy is not to save one or two people. Jesus' strategy is to change towns, to change spiritual atmospheres, to create a momentum that sweeps towns and cities into the kingdom. And because of that, it's a different strategy from the ones we're using because we've very much targeted individuals. And Jesus is saying, yeah, it works for individuals, but what we're doing is creating a change in the spiritual atmosphere so that whole cities and towns get swept into the kingdom. And he's saying that the lead thing you'd use in evangelism is not, your, is not preaching, it's praying. And that, when I saw that, that was like, oh my goodness, we, we never start there. And if we do, the way we start it is to say, God, God, we're asking you to send your convicting spirit to create a revival. God, we're crying out to you for revival. We, we want you to work on people's hearts, show them their sin and show them their need of you, save them from hell and all the rest of it. And that's the way we pray. And Jesus said, no, 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 hang on. I'm, a, I'm representing the Father and the big thing the father wants for his children is that they, are, they feel loved, they feel blessed, they feel his peace. They, they, they come into contact with the kingdom. And the way they do that is through prayer. So that's his step number one. So step number one is pray, peace and blessing. And, and how long do you do that for? You keep on doing it. It's a non-stop activity. Because prayer is the primary weapon to open people's hearts so they hear the word. It changes the ground that you're sowing into. And so what we're looking for is we're looking to see what is going on in people as we pray. Now, anybody can do that. You can do that wherever you work, wherever you go to school, whether you're at university, whether you're just at home in your neighborhood. You can do that. Anybody can do that. And what we're looking for is those who respond. And how do you know who responds? Well, there's two ways. You, you will see people who start to talk to you or uh, relate to you or are more open to you or start sharing things with you that they wouldn't have shared before. Why do they do that? They do that because they sense the peace of God, that tangible peace of God that tangible blessing of the kingdom. The other way you can do it, and, and I used to do this a lot at university, is you can ask God to show you what is going on in people's hearts. I remember a guy that I knew on my course, and he was in the next room to me in college, and called Andy. And I, uh, it, I did this imperfectly, so I wasn't following these things, but I was talking to him about God and doing all the things you, you, you did at that time, but it still worked. I was doing the repent or burn technique that doesn't really work. But in this context, 
what really worked is that I would pray for him every day. But what I would ask God to do is show me what was going on in his heart. And as I, so I'd sit on my bed in my room at university and I'd close my eyes and say, God, show me what's going on in his heart. And I just saw blackness. But as I prayed for him each day, over time I saw that blackness getting pushed back and, and light starting to appear until over time all the blackness had gone and I just saw light. Now what's the point of that? If I have faith that God has shown me what he's doing in the heart, I then said, right, that means his heart is open to hear the gospel. So I sat him down, I bought him lunch, and I said, I've been praying for you now for three and a half months. I believe you need to hear what I'm going to tell you today because something's been going on in you and um, you're at a place where you need to respond to God. So I shared the gospel with him and he became a Christian. I ended up sharing a house with him uh, for, well, five years, four or five years to, in Manchester till we got married. Um, and so... We want to know and we want to see what God is doing. You can do it spiritually, using his spiritual eyes, but you can also do it naturally and see how people are responding. And, and people will just start sharing with you and start opening up. That's what you're looking for because Jesus says the next step, step number two, is relationship. Two-way relationship. Let's, let's look at the passage we're looking at. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. And just a reminder, uh, coming in at verse 5 now rather than the early verses, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. If the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labour is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whichever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as they set before you, Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's Jesus' instructions to the disciples about how to evangelize and take the gospel of the kingdom to a city or a town. He's training them to do it. Now, what I want you to see there, so first step, pray peace, pray blessing, use the power of prayer. Second step, what is it? Relationship. Now, I want, to, I want you to see something here. Which way is the hospitality? It's from them to us. We, we spend an awful lot of money these days trying to attract people because they haven't been opened up by the power of prayer first. And, and what, what Jesus is saying here is, you have to be prepared to enter into a genuine relationship with people. And you have to do that where they are. Receive what they have to communicate to you. You see, and, and I'm guilty of this. I remember doing this, and, and Joyce, it was Joyce's fault. She set us up. And, and I made a real mess of it because I didn't understand this. And we've taken an approach of inviting people to dinner in order to ambush them with the gospel. And I remember Joyce uh, introducing us to some friends of hers and, and we had this idea that we'd tell them the gospel and Joyce would provide the food. 
And honestly, it was a disaster. They just went away feeling like judged and condemned. Because you're still, I know you're still working on them. Uh, but we're not here to ambush people with the gospel. Uh, and Jesus understands this because he's God and, and he knows what he's doing. And we need to pay attention because we put ourselves in a position as fishers of men, which is what Jesus is trying to make us, of forcing the gospel at people. And the, and the reason we do that is that we don't understand the superior power and the superior reality of the kingdom. That it is much bigger than the defeated kingdom of the enemy. And we don't understand the power of prayer. We don't understand its ability to open the heart and to change atmospheres. We, 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 and because of this, we've done aspects of what Jesus told the disciples to do. And they're partially effective. And so we've reached this conclusion that if we did more of that partially effective bit, it would work. But the thing that actually works and, and causes a transformation and a move of God as opposed to a few individuals coming into the kingdom is that we get this in the right order and we do this individually and corporately. And I know Joyce is, is thinking a lot about, because Joyce and I have been talking a lot about what I'm sharing and Joyce is going to speak next week. Um, but she's been thinking a lot about how does that affect the way we pray and how does that affect our prayer meetings. And the point is this, that, that friendship is the next step after prayer. That's really interesting. Preaching and proclamation is not the next step. And, and yet, we've got an aspect of that, and we've jumped on it. It's called friendship evangelism. But it's only part of the thing. There's four steps in that, and this is the second step. Now, why is relationship so important? It's important because... What, what we're trying to do is accurately represent the Father and his heart to people so that they can see his heart to them. And so when we prepare to sit at a table, accept the hospitality of others or, or share hospitality with them, it's a two-way hospitality. Uh, it's one way there because in their traditions, they, there's a tradition in... Uh, the Jewish culture, that they offer hospitality. They're aggressive hospitality offerers. For us, it still translates as two-way hospitality. But the point that Jesus is making is you, you have to start by receiving from them and being willing to listen to them and share in what's going on with them, not what your objective is. And I find that stunning. Just like... It's shifting my, my whole paradigm of how we reach people. But it also takes the pressure off. Because it means that I don't have an awful lot to do with it. The more I'm confident that this is a supernatural thing, the less I have to worry about whether I get it right or wrong. <laughs> because it's not me doing it. Now, we're trying to represent the heart of the Father. So we want to show people by that receiving and listening that we actually care about them. They're not just a notch on our scorecard. That, that we accept them and not judge them. You see, one of the worst things we do as Christians is we have this like judgmental attitude. And 
however much we try, we seem to manage corporately the body of Christ to come across as people who think that people who aren't Christians have no value. You only have value to me if you become a Christian. Because if you don't, you're out of my life. Because I can't report you on my scorecard. So I don't get any bonus points in heaven. And, and that, that's a really funny attitude because it doesn't reflect the heart of the Father at all. The heart of the Father is love. He cares for everybody. He's, he's the God that says, I make the sun and the rain pour on the righteous and unrighteous alike because that's who I am. And so we don't want to communicate a heart that's different. And the way we can do that is we allow God to change our hearts and put ourselves in a position of receiving and listening instead of pushing. Now, I could say all that, and it's meaningless, isn't it? Unless that's actually what Jesus and the disciples did. Because at the moment, I don't, I don't know about you, but when I got to this point, I'm thinking, well, man, this is so far away from anything I've thought about that, that I, need to, I need to see it. You know, is this not just an isolated incident? And I went looking, and every time Jesus, Jesus several, several occasions sends groups of people out, and he always gives them these same instructions. And, and you know, there's, there's other words wrapped around it, but it's always this same order of things. And I go, okay, well, I'm still a bit... Because this isn't what we do. And so I'm saying, right, God, you're going to have to... You, you show me. You show me what Jesus did. Because... What do we know about Jesus? Jesus is perfect theology. The other way of looking at it is red words win. So in some Bibles, Jesus' words are in red. So if you, if you, don't, if you go like, you can always read any verse in the Bible any way you want, but the deciding factor is what did Jesus do and what did Jesus say on that subject, and you have to interpret everything else by those red words. And so I looked and said, well, what, what, does, what does Jesus do? And God, I've, I've lost my Bible now, where did I put it? There it is. God drew my attention to uh, when Jesus goes into a town. So he's doing what he's told the disciples to do. He goes into a town called Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And we'll pick it up at, at chapter 19 of Luke. So, so everything's in Luke, just so you don't have to chase everything. And, and it's a really famous story, and I don't want you singing, Zacchaeus was a little man, and a very little man was he in your head. Which you now will do, won't you? <laughs> so there you go. Jesus entered, passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man called Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Why does Jesus say he was rich? Well, this takes place only a little while after the rich young ruler has rejected Jesus because he can't give up his riches. Zacchaeus is going to make a very different decision. So Zacchaeus is rich, the rich young ruler was rich. What's the difference? The difference is whether those riches shape you and have a hold on you, or it's the other way around, whether they're a servant to you. To Zacchaeus, richness didn't get in the way of him getting into the kingdom. Wealth is, is neutral in that sense. It's what it does to your heart that's the issue. So what did Zacchaeus do? He sought to see who Jesus was. But he couldn't because of the crowd, because he was a very little man. And a very little man was he. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So he, he's, he's thought it out. It's like the big parade, and he's got his seat in the tree. When Jesus 
arrived. He came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I'm going to stay at your house. So, what's happened here? Well, we, we're going to have a look in a, in a, before I finish, just a, a second event in this thing to Jericho. But the peace is resting on Zacchaeus. In other words, there's a response from him even before Jesus gets there. Something's happening in Zacchaeus' heart that's taken him from corrupt tax collector to climbing a tree because he wants to see who Jesus is. The peace has rested. There's, there's a response there. Now, Zacchaeus, because he had a bad reputation and he got his money from a corrupt source, wasn't liked. In fact, he was hated. And people shunned him. Jesus, however, what does he say? What's step two? Fellowship, hospitality, getting involved in people's lives, accepting. So Jesus comes along and he leads with step two. He's going, right, I'm going to test this piece. Zacchaeus, tonight I'm coming to your house to eat with you. Nobody in the entire town would have done that for Zacchaeus, but Jesus does, because that's the, he, he's stepping into this place of getting to the point where he genuinely cares about Zacchaeus and he wants to show him his heart towards him. And the way he does that is to accept Zacchaeus' hospitality, to receive from him and listen to him. Now, what actually happens is that almost the, 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 the process, because the, there's two more steps in the process, he gets short-circuited because Zacchaeus has this burning need to be accepted and loved. That, that's the way he's wired. That's his issue. So he responds straight away. He, he goes through steps three and four that I'm going to tell you about next week. No, two weeks' time. Uh, straight away. Because he's, he's had... Jesus has met him at his point of need. And, and because of that, he repents. And, he, you know, we know the story. He, give, he says, I'm going to give back all I've taken, and if I've stolen for anybody, I'm going to give it back four times, and all the rest of it. Now, what, what, what's the thing there? The thing I'm trying to say is this, is that I, I believe that one of the big things that gets in our way of seeing people come into the kingdom is this word repentance. Because we've taken an aspect of repentance, which looks like somebody crying and wailing at an altar call and being dangled over hell till they come into the kingdom. And if you're not sorry enough, you can't be saved enough. And, and we've set a lot of what we do up on that basis to get somebody to the point where they, 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 they're sorry for their sins and therefore they, 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 we get them sorry enough that they do something about it. That's, that is a valid expression of repentance. No doubt about it. You know, that, that's, that's what God does in a lot of people's hearts. And, and that's okay, but it's not something we're trying to engineer. Because this word repentance doesn't mean just that. In fact, the word repentance means re-pent. And it's about the way we think. And so, pent is that word that you use for penthouse, top level. And, and, and basically, what God is saying, he uses this word repentance, what it means is coming back to a higher way of thinking, a better way of thinking. Turning around your thinking until you think like the kingdom, until you think higher. 
So it can be, you know, feeling really terrible about your sins. That may be that transformation process that you need. But it's not what we're trying to force, because what we're trying to force is that people change their thinking. That's repentance. And Zacchaeus changes his thinking. He doesn't wail and whine and cry and all that sort of stuff. He goes, okay, I've got it now. I'm going to give back what I've stolen. It's like his his thinking changed. The reason we miss it is because it's such a quick process with Zacchaeus. And and it's because Jesus did the second step, said, I'm going to come and eat at your house. I'm going to share your hospitality. Are, Are you getting this? So that's step two. Here we go. Why do you want to get involved in somebody's life like that? You want to get involved in somebody's life like that. Because Jesus said something else, didn't he? He said, um, don't move on once you've got there. In other words, you see it through to the end. And the reason you do that is is twofold. When 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 you start to step out, you want a base to to move from. So you establish yourself and see change in one or two people's lives before you see change in 20 or 30 lives. And often we don't hang around. We, we go, oh, I did it. I told them they needed to repent. They didn't do it. Oh, I'm embarrassed now. I can't talk to them again. Because we've short-circuited the process. And Jesus says, no, you hang around as long as you're getting a response. And the reason you hang around is this, because you are not there to save them. The Holy Spirit and the Word is there to save them. You're not. You're there to show that you genuinely care and represent the heart of the Father and the kingdom. And as we get to know people more, they will open up and share more. And as they share more, we can pray more for them and pray more peace and pray more blessing and use the offensive weapon of prayer. You getting it? Okay, because what's Jesus trying to do? Jesus is, try- Jesus is what I call a keeper. In that he's not interested in somebody saying a prayer. He's interested in somebody following him for life. So he's prepared to take the time and invest deeply so that person follows him for life. Not just says a prayer and you never see him again. Are you you with it? So that's step two. Step three. Step three is really where the... The, the, the power of prayer and the power of the supernatural and the power of the kingdom comes into its own. Step three is this. The, the, Jesus says, you meet the felt needs of the person by prayer. Meet the felt needs of the per- person by prayer. This is where the miraculous comes in. This is where the heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, all that sort of stuff, words of knowledge, all that sort of stuff comes in at this stage. They're not up front. But they are there. Now, what what happens here? This will only happen when somebody trusts you enough to tell you what they really need. And when, um, basically, they'll open up to you and start to open to you because they will sense that you have the answer somewhere that you have access to the one who has the answers. So people, you know, people want their lives to be better. They, they want to see change. They want to um, 
be able to um, get out of the messes they get themselves in. And as they trust you and as they sense that you've got access to the answer, they'll open up. Now, what do you do at this point? You expect the miraculous. This is a power gospel. You expect the miraculous. So Jesus said, so if they share with you they're sick, you heal them. You pay for healing. If you are, let's make it a more mundane example that everybody can think about. Okay, you've got problems. There's problems in the place where you work. Sales are going down. Uh, you're not landing the contracts you expect. You're behind on budget. Cash collection's not coming in. All those, all those sort of things. What, what can you do? Your boss is worried. He's like stressed. He's going grey. You know, he's not had a holiday for months. What do you do? Well, if you've gone through steps one and two, you've got a relationship where your boss is willing to share what he's feeling, what his issues, you know, what, what he's, what's causing all this stress. So he says, I've got, you know, I don't understand it. We're, we're working our socks off. I'm working till 10 every night. The results just aren't coming in. What is an expectation of the miraculous praying into felt needs at that point? What do you say? You say, Okay, I understand that. I'm, you know, thank you for, this is a potted version. Thank you for sharing that with me. Do you mind if I pray about that? And we ask that you're going to get some wisdom and some supernatural insight about what you're supposed to do. And I'll pray that some more customers are going to come in. And I'll pray that, that whatever's this blockage, we'll see what it is. And, and we'll come up with a strategy for, for doing it. So I'm going to pray about that. And when that happens, you'll know it's God. There's your risk factor. That's your stepping out. Okay? Now, you can do that. Um, we've got real examples of that in our family. Uh, and she's just walked out. So. But when Jess was having, you know, at university, um, she really struggled... Uh, to absorb the amount of information it needs to do a law degree because she, she's dyslexic. And her mum kept saying to her, I'm going to pray about that, I'm going to pray, and you're going to get this, this degree grade that you want because I'm praying. And Jess didn't believe it. And, and then her mum kept doing that. And when that happens, you'll know it's God. And when that happens, you'll know it's God. And when that happens, you'll know it's God. And when it did happen, she did know it was God. And now she goes around telling everybody, I couldn't have got that degree grade without God because and my mum prayed and she told me I'd know it was God and it is God because I couldn't have done that. And therefore, there is really a God, so you need to believe him. Can you see how this works? Jesse's faith now stands on the miraculous, not on an argument. And that's much more solid. Do you see what's happening? Okay, let's, let's finish off this. Let's try and land this quickly. You see, what we're preaching is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel isn't Jesus died for your sins. You need him as your saviour and you're going to heaven. That's an aspect of the gospel. And Jesus never told anybody to preach that. Jesus never talked in those terms. He always talked about the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
Because what he was talking about is, I want you to tell people about my kingship, and I rule over all this, and I've won this victory on the cross, and I'm the answer, and I care, and I love them. And I'm willing to get involved in every aspect of their life because I care. And because I'm the only one that can do something about it. So if you need healing, I'm the answer. If you need setting free, I'm the answer. If you need deliverance, I'm the answer. If you got this problem that you can't break and, and you're going into debt and you're going into bankruptcy, I'm the answer. The gospel of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is invading. And the, Jesus kept saying, the king, tell them the kingdom is at hand. It's here right now in me. The kingdom is at hand, it's here right now in you. And by this point, and, and I kind of guess you, you might have got to this point as well, but I might have talked you out of it already, is that you're thinking, well, shouldn't we tell them that they need saving at this point? It, isn't that much more important than getting them healed? How many times have you heard that? You, you don't worry about all the miracles. You, it, salvation is the biggest miracle. Yeah, that's what you need to do. They need to know they need saving. You know, what happens? Does it matter if they die of cancer as long as they've gone to heaven? Well, no, we, do. we know that. We know that salvation is the biggest need that anybody has, don't we? But this is this disjoin. They don't know that. Because they're in the midst of this struggle with cancer or debt or whatever and that's what's right in front of them they can't see anything but that so we start there because they can't see what we want to communicate to salvation is much more important than any of that but they can't see it so jesus starts with what they feel their felt need and that might seem like oh we've got to meet the needs of people well yes because that's all they're seeing because they'll never hear the salvation message unless we meet them at that point do, do you see and that's where the miraculous breaks through are you with me this is this is like phenomenal stuff i i, I just like when god was showing me this i'm just going man this is just incredible and i've got and, and so i go back and say so what did jesus do because you're blowing my mind now, God. So what does Jesus do? Let's go back to this Jericho thing. What does Jesus do? Immediately before the Zacchaeus incident, there is another incident as they go into Jericho. So let's just roll back to Luke chapter 18, and we see another story. And It's a bit shorter. Then it happened, as he was coming near to Jericho, a blind man sat at the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So he, he's begging. There's a lot of noise going on, a bit of hubbub. And he's going like, what's going on? So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was coming past. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. By any stretch of the imagination, that's an incredible opening to preach salvation and how much he's a sinner and how much he needs God's mercy and he needs to say the prayer and get into the kingdom of heaven and repent, isn't it? You cannot get a better invitation than somebody coming up and going, how do I find Jesus' mercy? Will you tell me? What would we do? We'd go, you're a sinner, you need to repent, get in the kingdom of heaven, say the prayer. What does Jesus do? Those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he carried on crying out, David, son of David, have mercy on me. Now let's see what Jesus says. Next slide. So Jesus stood still and 
said, bring that guy to me. And when he come near, Jesus didn't do what we would have done. He said, what do you want me to do for you? The guy can't see his need for salvation. Jesus knows his need is salvation. What does he do? He said, I want to get my sight back. That's what's on his heart. That's what's on his mind. So what does he do? He gave him his sight. And what does the guy do? He responds. Because Jesus met him at his point of need. Are you getting this? Step three, we pray and we expect the miraculous at the felt point of need. So I'm, I'm going to finish there because step four is the biggie next week. But I just want to say this. That we are being trained as fishers of men. Didn't Jesus say that? I'm going to make you fishers of men. I've got two points on that. And um, when I was a kid, I hung around with a lot of other kids who loved fishing. I didn't, but they did. The reason I didn't like it is because I didn't have the patience for it. <laughs> and they did. And the point is this. Fishing takes patience. Reaching a generation or a city or a neighborhood or your workplace with the gospel takes time. It takes patience. We can't rush it. We're not there bombarding with a one-off strategy that after two days he's burnt out, has upset loads of people and we've got nowhere to go with it. It takes time. You see, Jesus is teaching us to be fishers of men, fishermen. Now, there's something about fish... You cannot force a net. You don't force a net onto the fish when you're fishing in the sea. You're not, you're not trying to push this net round them. You're not under the water dragging the net round the fish. You're not doing that. What happens is you put down your net and the fish you were going in that direction swim into it. Those who the peace is resting on swim into the net. You're getting this. We don't push the net on the fish. The fish swim into the net because they're going in the direction that, that leads them there. Why? Because of the supernatural power of the kingdom expressed through faith-filled prayer. Is this changing your view? Let me, let me just show you one of the most bizarre verses in the Bible. Luke 16, 16. This is my last verse. I'm finished. I'm, I'm honest. Luke 16, 16. This is Jesus. And he makes this statement completely out of the blue. There's no lead into this statement. There's nothing after it. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. Who's John? John the Baptist. The last prophet. So what's he saying? The law and the prophets that's what we've had up to now. Now I'm here, everything's changed. We're not using the law. We're not, we're not relying on that covenant. We're relying on, the, on, on something that has come. We call it the New Testament. He calls it the kingdom. And this is what he says. Since John the Baptist, or since I came on the scene, and, and these disciples of mine came and said, the kingdom of God is what has been preached. And everyone is pressing into it. Are they? 
Is that what we see? Everybody is pressing in to become Christians. So that leads me to the conclusion that what we have been showing them is not the kingdom of God. <laughs> because Jesus says, you preach the kingdom of God, they flow into the net. They press into the net. What did Zacchaeus do? He saw the kingdom of God demonstrated by the guy getting his sight back. The peace of Jesus was already resting on him. He climbs a tree. Jesus meets him at his felt, felt, felt point of need. And he presses into the kingdom. And he gives all his money away he's got by ill-gotten gains. He's, he's already going in that direction. There's a, there's a push out there when we apply the power of prayer and preach the kingdom that pushes people into the net. We're not forcing the net on people, but there's a pressure that comes because of the supernatural power of prayer and the preaching of the full kingdom that pushes people into the net. It presses them in. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. He pressed into the kingdom or was pressed into the kingdom. That's how you change civilization. That's how you change Cambridge. That's how you change Ely. That's how you change Papworth. That's how you change Haverhill. That's how you change wherever else you come from. Okay? Um, yeah. I'm going to finish there. Let's stand. <laughs>